Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. When you think about saving money, does setting aside part of your paycheck into a retirement account come to mind? Maybe that's the first thing that comes to mind. Maybe you feel some hesitation around spending money on a vacation when you know you should be thinking about setting aside money for later in life when maybe you're not able to work full time or saving money for an emergency. But what if there was a way to do all of those things, a strategy so that you can make room for fun and travel in your life now without forgetting about the future? This hour, I'm going to talk with a financial advisor to get some help reframing the way we think about saving money and spending money. How do we prioritize spending money on what brings us joy in addition to sticking to a budget that provides financial stability? As we talk about it, I want to hear from you. I want to know, how do you manage money when it comes to planning vacations or adventures that make you happy? Or maybe it's a hobby that you really enjoy that costs money. Are you struggling to make room for fun in a tight budget? The phone lines are open. You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that number is 651 651- Two two seven six thousand. You can also call us at 800-242-2828. But first, because it's Monday, I want to check in with my colleague, Chris Farrell, to get an update on what's going on with the economy. Good morning, Chris. Nice to see you. It's good to see you. So what are you starting with today? Well, I had to start with artificial intelligence. Oh, I mean, do you? It's, in I all, do. it's everywhere. I, I can't get away from conversations about AI. Well, this is the <laughs> thing. I mean, if you take a look, the stock market's been on this incredible roll. And what's driving it, or one of the major factors behind it, is this enthusiasm. You're absolutely right. Artificial intelligence is everywhere. And there is a lot of hype surrounding artificial intelligence. Nevertheless, um, NVIDIA, which makes the chips that are critical for uh, generative AI mm-hmm. came out with its sales last week on Friday, and they beat expectations. And you know, it its market capitalization now tops two trillion. And about eight months ago, the company was worth about one trillion. So that gives you just an idea of just about how much. Wall Street, the financial community, uh, the broader community is thinking, you know, this is not just a bunch of hype. This is not just words. And the company's uh, co-founder and CEO, you know, he says that um, we're watching the creation of a whole new industry. And, you know, sometimes it's possible, Angela, to sort of say, here's a divide. Here's a historic divide. With the Internet, the moment was when Netscape went public. And everyone all of a sudden oh, went, remember? <laughs> yeah. and, then, and, and it woke, oh, the commercial possibilities of the internet. Well, here we had generative AI came out in November 2022. And that was a moment where all of us kind of went on our computers and kind mm. of queried and, mm-hmm. you know, put in our own names in there. And what did it say about us, including uh, that I wrote a book called um, How to Retire Before You Graduate from College. So it made up a couple things. Um, <laughs> but at the same time with NVIDIA, I think that has seized everybody's attention that this AI, it's, it's, it's whether you're, you're a journalist, whether it doesn't matter what industry you're in, everybody is trying to understand what are the implications of AI for our business. So how much of, I mean, you mentioned the word, some of it is, is hype, but how much of this enthusiasm about AI, um, how much is it real? Right. Well, yeah, and this was, this is what makes these periods, you know, eventually we're going to get a bubble. 
And a bubble means that stock market valuations, because of AI, are going to go into the stratosphere. And when bubble bursts, people look back and say, you know, how could people be so crazy with their money? But think about it. Just as we're having this conversation, we know there's there's real stuff going on here. We know that in journalism, there's a lot of experiments going on just in our industry alone. Where every people year are looking, making business decisions. And people right. making business decisions. And so uh, you saw this with the rise of the auto industry and the rise of electric power back in the 1920s. You saw this with the rise of the internet. And part of it is investors know this is a transformative technology, but does that mean companies should be worth 10 times earnings, Mm -hmm. 100 times earnings, 1,000 times earnings? And so we're not far enough along to be saying that this is one of those moments like you had with the Roaring Twenties, like you had with the internet, but boy, it sure seems like it. It's coming. I'm thinking of previous interviews I've done with people about artificial intelligence, and one guest talked about you know businesses need to be making decisions now. They need to be setting guidelines for the usage of, of artificial intelligence, and they need to know what's possible. And over the weekend, a big story that I was following uh, had to do with the film industry. Uh, filmmaker Tyler Perry announced that, you know, that he's going to halt production or expansion of his studios because he saw a demonstration of what artificial intelligence could do in the film industry. And it's like, wait a minute, this is a tire, entirely different uh, future we're looking at and, and the needs will not be the same. Right. And so now he's, Tyler Perry now has people that are trying to figure this out for him. Because right. he's not research just- this, right? Research this. Because he's not just going to be pulling back on this investment. He's going to be taking that money and investing it differently. Moving it. Moving it with mm-hmm. AI. So what does this mean for workers? So, you know, when you take a back, look back on economic history, I mean, what you really take away from workers is some workers just clearly lose their jobs. They lose their jobs to technology. I mean, I was in, uh, I was in, uh, uh, in, uh, in a hotel room and they had these old pictures and, uh, it was the basement hotel had been all the telephone operators. They're all women oh. and they were putting, you know, plugging in the mm-hmm. right to, to do the phones. Well, those jobs the have disappeared. The switchboard. Yes. That's it. Mm-hmm. So those, those jobs have disappeared. You create new jobs. The real issue is, uh, about retraining, reskilling, learning these skills. And so one of the things that I'm worried about, I'm not so worried about people losing their jobs in the sense of mass unemployment. What I'm worried about is that we don't invest enough in teaching people new skills, teaching people uh, the skills that they need for where the opportunities will be. Training if we just say laissez-faire, you know, you're on your own, that could be a really bad thing. And uh, on another front, uh, we've talked a lot about the recession. Recession talk is fading. Recession talk is fading. And it just, I mean, look, you know, we've had healthy economic growth, low unemployment, declining inflation rates, you know, good stock market performance. And Donald Luskin, he's a uh, market strategist. And I like the way that he put it. And I think it's very simple. He says, look, it's just simple. If you don't have a contraction in jobs, you don't have a recession. If you don't have a rise in unemployment claims, you won't have a contraction in jobs. Both the unemployment rate, the level of unemployment claims are low, no risk of recession, move along. Now, as I understand it, uh, there is a big debate right now among economists um, and market strategists that over when the Fed will cut interest rates. So where what are we seeing there? So this long-anticipated moment, this moment that we've been discussing, Angela, is likely to be delayed. Uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell, he said he doesn't think rates will be cut uh, at their March 19th. March 20 meeting. That's the next big meeting. Um, 
you know, we do get an important piece of information that will have some influence, and that comes on Thursday when we get the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index. That's the Fed's favorite measure of inflation. And the Consumer Price Index, which came out recently, was kind of disappointing. The expectation this may be eh, not such good news. So this is kind of back and forth. But here's the thing, Angela. Yes, timing may matter if you're working on Wall Street. But overall, the economy is continuing to grow. The job market is healthy and inflation rates are coming down. But for most people, it still doesn't feel like we're doing better. Right. And this is, you know, this is one of those. The disconnect. And to one extent, it's not surprising. We went through a pandemic. We went through the trauma of the economy being shut down, and then we're coming out of it. And there's all kinds, you know, there's remote work, there's hybrid work, there's um, lower wage workers are doing better, but sort of middle income workers, they really did lose out to inflation. I mean, there's so much going on in this economy, but when you fundamentally look at it, the way I look at the economy, economy is jobs. So this kind of leads into why uh, the topic we chose today we wanted to talk about. I just feel like everyone's tired. Everybody needs a break, right? Right. (laughs) Everyone has uh, spent a lot of time worried about their own personal finances. Um, But I've also noticed that there is a growing concern about credit card debt, that that's coming back. Like we, a lot of folks had canceled out their credit card debt during the pandemic because we weren't going anywhere, weren't doing anything. Uh, But I'm seeing more and more stories about credit card debt is coming back. So I want to divide this into two. So on the one hand, when you're looking at the overall economy. It's not surprising that credit card debt is up because the economy is growing. Unemployment rate is low. And what you really care about is what's the burden of debts, including credit card debt, on family income. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the ratio of debts to family income, debt payments to family income, it's low. It's very, very low. So we're not getting a, a warning signal there. On the other hand, there's so many people, Angela, as you said, that are struggling, you know, and they're struggling to save. And oftentimes what struggling to save means is they're struggling to get out of debt. So I don't want to minimize that experience and that people are really feeling that. But just from a macroeconomic point of view, the rise in credit card debt right now is not that worrisome. All right, Chris. Uh, Again, Chris Farrell, NPR's senior economics contributor. And Chris is going to stay with us for the rest of the hour as we talk about effective ways to save money for vacations or other experiences that make us happy. Uh, We have another guest that we're bringing in who is a financial advisor. I.O. Idowu has more than a decade of experience as a financial advisor. He's a former professional athlete as well in the NFL, the CFL, and AFL, and a frequent contributor on ESPN Radio and WCCO Radio. He is joining us remotely this morning. Hi, I.O. Good morning. Good morning, Angela. How you doing? Good to hear your voice. Hi, your voice. Too. You sound good. You have a good voice. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. You must have your money straight. I want some advice. Uh, <laughs> but first, uh, I, I want to talk about just the, the thought, this idea of the value of having something fun to look forward to, whether it's a vacation or just a night out with friends. And have you found that in your lifetime, uh, just to be true, that it, it is worth the sacrifice at times? Uh, just to be able to do something you really enjoy. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's I'm glad we're having this topic because I feel like when people come to my office or people go see a financial advisor, it's always kind of like, a, oh, man, here we go. Somebody's going to tell me I'm spending too much money. Somebody's going to tell me, oh, I, you know, I need to be saving more, putting more into my investments. But we don't talk about kind of the uh, the, the leisure part of our budgets anymore. And I, uh, that's why I'm excited about this conversation. 
And so, you know, you're a financial advisor now, but I want to know a little bit more. I want to share with our audience a little bit more about your personal journey, uh, learning about money when you were younger. And uh, I, I know that, that you grew up on the east side of St. Paul. Did you grow up in a family uh, that took vacations? Uh, uh, did you grow up watching family members spend money on things that, that made them, you know, happy? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a St. Paul kid. And no, it, it's it's actually very funny because we didn't take many vacations growing up, right? So saving for leisure or just putting money away for things that you really needed weren't necessarily something that were at the top of the, I'm not going to say you really needed, but saving for something that, that was more fun was was kind of second and secondary for us. Uh, I always talk about, you know, growing up is, you know, my parents worked really hard, um, you know, sometimes multiple jobs and, and we, we were in a family where, you know, they'd work uh, extra hours and, and would take time to, uh, uh, to to pick up shifts here and there. We felt it when our parents were getting, you know, the hours that they wanted to versus, you know, times where, you know, maybe there was shortage or maybe somebody lost a job. As a kid, we were always, um, we were always you know, content and we had what we needed, but you definitely felt it, right? We weren't going out to Bennigan's at the end of the month or Applebee's or, or right. whatever that was. So it, it's funny when I talk about money, it's as a kid, I was conditioned and most people that come from more working class families are conditioned to thinking the more you work, the more money you have. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my thought process, right? I remember thinking about Bill Gates on MTV Cribs as a kid and I'm like, wow, these people must, you know, uh, work 24 hours. They must have a cot in their room. They must have 15 jobs, right? That's why they have millions and millions of dollars. And I remember when I got to the University of St. Thomas, uh, my freshman year, that was the first time I've seen like, you know, kind of like real wealth. Mm-hmm. And I noticed like these individuals, my, my friends and and their families would have multiple homes. You know, there'd be three car garages, five cars in the driveway, but only two people with licenses. And it just didn't make sense to me. Right. Just a lot of stuff like <laughs> that. I'm like, hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, they worked less than my parents. How come they have more money? And it started to click as a finance major or not a finance major yet. I was an accounting major. And my freshman year in the dorms, there was a gentleman next to me who had like a plasma screen TV, which by the way, in the early 2000s, a plasma screen TV was a sign of wealth. Right? Yeah, We still had the big back yes. TVs back then. Uh-huh. So he had that, he had nice shoes and he only delivered pieces like two nights a week. And honestly, I, I was positive he was selling drugs. Like it didn't match, right? He delivered pizzas every couple hours and, and, and he had like nice stuff. And meanwhile, I'm working like 20 hours a week on campus. And that was the first time I got introduced to like wealth and money and, and investing. He, he told me that he had an E-Trade account and had been saving since he was like 10 years old, birthday money, graduation money, Christmas money, whatever. And he was day trading, which I always tell people, and Chris can back this up too. I, I don't, I don't condone day trading, but it was the first time I learned about people making money basically in their bedroom, making money on their computer, making money and doubling their money without going to the casino, but buying stocks. Even though I knew about stocks, it wasn't necessarily something I saw that was, um, uh, accessible to somebody my age, obviously that looked like me. I always think of um, uh, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd coming to America, right? Like the old white men in in New York, in Ward, Winchester, New York, uh, reading the Dow Jones every morning, right? So that was like my my journey. I, when I finally learned about that, I switched my major to finance with a focus on investments because I just really wanted to learn how to be more savvy with my money, right? Um, work less, maybe, um, create more and, and kind of get the money working for me. So that's really my story. And that you have now uh, put that into a career. And is that sort of why you get up in the morning? You want to help other people be more savvy with their money? It's fun. Money is a puzzle. Like when I tell people I love money, I have to like give this big soliloquy after because it sounds very vain why somebody loves money, right? But I've always been fascinated about 
the different ways individuals are able to create income. I've always been fascinated about the different ways individuals are able to save money, put money away, grow wealth. I mean, you can put money into diamonds. You can put money into real estate. You can put money into stocks. You can put money, I mean, into fake currency like Bitcoin. You know what I mean? It's just ways people can set a dollar down and come back and it turns into $10. Mm. Well, we want to hear more about that. Uh, Chris, uh, how do you think about uh, setting aside money for um you know, doing things like going out to eat or, or buying a plane ticket. I mean, wh- what have you seen as the value of, of being able to look forward to something like that? So, you know, I think, you know, money is a tool. And, you know, it's interesting. You, you, you think about purpose. What do you want out of life? What gives you pleasure? What gives you meaning? And and then money supports that. And so, yes, when, when we're talking about budgeting, it's not that you budget because, hey, you're 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 just a bad person and you need to deny yourself this 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 and this you know what what you're doing is you're creating a framework so that you can do the things that you want to be doing that's the only reason you know money lets you do that in our society so really it is about changing the way it's why i always love the word frugality it's kind of an old fashioned no, like term i know you don't like the term i know you frugal. don't like that word but the thing about frugal frugal doesn't mean being cheap it means about quality and quality of life and those are the things that you need to be thinking about all right. We're talking about uh, ways to, to budget, ways to save money for things that bring us joy, like vacations or maybe hobbies that, that you like to do. What's the best way to do it? Is there a strategy? I want to know, how do you manage your money when it comes to travel or ho- hobbies? Are you struggling to make room for fun on a tight budget? We're talking with a financial advisor as well as NPR's Chris Farrell. Phone lines are open. You can call us with your questions or your advice. 651-227-6000 is the number to call. Again, that's 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. So I, as you work with clients, um, is this something that comes up? Do people ask you like, um, okay, um, I, I, I want to be able to take a nice vacation once a year. Uh, does it come up? Do people a- ask about like, are there ways that I can not just, you know, take care of retirement, but do something in the here and now? Oh, of course. That's I mean, that's what people are interested in the most. Obviously, everybody wants to retire. But I mean, if you're in your 30s and 40s, retirement isn't for, you know, 20, maybe 30 years. So, you know, it it seems like at times clients are putting money into this black hole that they may or may not ever see. And they obviously do want to talk about the here and now. I will say the worst part about my job as a financial advisor, and I would, you know, I, I think a lot of advisors would agree with me, is telling a grown man or woman how to spend or how not to spend their money, Right. That is um, one of the spots I don't get excited about. I feel like when people come to the office and, you know, they, they almost feel guilty for purchases at times. But why I feel budgeting is important. And Chris, I love that you talk about frugality because that's that's what people attempt. I think I'm going to say. But, you know, when I go speak to corporations, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the finance department, the accounting department, biggest corporations in the world, millions and millions and millions of dollars. They sit down quarterly and, and obviously annually as well and talk about budgets for the corporation. If this corporation could talk about a budget for millions of dollars, it's not necessarily them saying we want to save less, save more or make more or spend more. It's more along the lines of just let's have a good snapshot of where the money's going. And I feel like that's the biggest difference. And, and, it, and it can cure a lot of anxiety when clients can sit down and at least know. I talk about budgeting. I talk about it from a standpoint of just like at least understand where your money is going. And don't be surprised when it's gone at the end of the month or if there's too much at the end of the month. So let's get to the advice, Io. Uh, how do you recommend people, you know, d- 
divvy up their 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 income? Um, should we create a, a separate bank up account, a, a separate like travel fund account um, with the goal in mind? I'm going to put away a, a little bit of something with each paycheck so that, you know, at, at the end of six months, at the end of the year, I have a, an account just for taking a trip. What do you recommend? Yeah, I really like I really like that. I like that approach. I, I love compartment. I call it compartmentalizing my money. Uh, I'm one of the people who have like an account. I probably have more accounts than I need, but I have an account for everything. That way I can know what this account is for. If I need an emergency, I can reach into this account. If I need to pay bills, I can reach into this account. If I'm saving for a future something in this account, right? Um, the great thing is we're not in the stone age anymore. We don't have to walk into the bank every time we want to open an account. Sometimes <laughs> people have never even actually been to their new banks that they've been a part of. I, I'm part of a new bank that I just started doing business with. I've never stepped foot in a branch yet. So that makes it very mm-hmm. easy nowadays to open these online accounts and maybe it, only have an account for a couple months. It's not confusing. I mean, so you're, you're saying you have like multiple savings accounts or multiple checking accounts. Oh, give me more detail here. Yeah. So I, obviously I do a couple of business ventures outside of, you know, um, my, my current job. So it's, it's very important to me, whether it's like real estate or whether it's a business venture or whether, you know, there's a family member that I'm helping, you know, pay for, let's say, uh, an event they're doing or college or, or gifting, or maybe, you know, the Sine Foundation Gala was this weekend. I have money mm-hmm. set aside that, you know, if I go to galas or if I'm donating the money I'm putting away at church, I, I do separate them. I like to title them as well. It can get out of hand. Don't but, get it twisted. It can me, definitely get out of hand. Let me pause you there. So that way you know exactly where your money is going and you have a goal. Like you, so the, the, the Tony, uh, the Sane Foundation, that's important to you. So you know that that's important to you and that you want to contribute every year. So you say you have a separate account just for, for that. Or for donations yeah, for, of that for, nature. For donations, for giving money, right? And it's a little more difficult than that. Obviously, it's called a donor advised fund. It's a little deeper, but mm-hmm. again, it's it's a it's a type of investment vehicle or a type of savings vehicle for something. I'm all for it. Okay, and Chris, you want to say something? I just very quickly uh, uh, have money in a savings. B- building check. off off what, what he's saying, which which is just so important. I think it's just a great way to manage your money. Is one of the nice things is that you can do, make it all automatic. I mean, right. if you have that savings account, you can have. $5, you get $10, whatever the amount of money automatically. So you're not even having to do it. Transfer it automatically, deposit into it automatically. And I think that is where you harness the power of technology to help you save. If you don't have to think about it, you set it up, then you don't have to think about it. You know what? At it's the end of the year, grows. it's there. All right. Uh, exactly. I, so, it's, so the same thing for like, I want to, every year I want to do a girl's trip. So, so yeah. what's the advice? The advice is, first of all, uh, post it on Instagram so I can see what you guys do. I love what <laughs> no. you guys do. No, 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 no. You guys do, you guys do <laughs> girls trips way better than we do. Guys, we just go get an Airbnb and don't plan anything and just no go photos. to the local bar, right? <laughs> but yeah, girls trip. Let's talk about it this way. First and foremost, obviously, we, we've talked about the credit card hacks. People are doing credit cards. I think credit cards are great, especially for the points. You know, my brother's kind of a credit card hacker almost by trade where he's paid for whole vacations just off of points and new credit cards, X, Y, Z. But it can also get people in trouble. I'm more along the lines of, hey, if I know I got a trip in, let's say, seven months, right? Or let's use 10, easier easier number. All right, 10 and months. I trip in 10, 10 months, and I know it's going to cost me about a 1000 bucks overall for this trip. My thought process is easy enough. Let me just put away 100 bucks a month out of this account, and I'll put it into a separate trip account, right? And now, even if I come in, that now obviously we know just by the math, I will have a thousand bucks by the end of this, uh, by the time it's time to either buy this ticket or by the time it's time to spend this money. 
But the best part is too, like, you know, life happens within that 10 months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's say month five, there's an emergency that's happening. I have this account with, let's say, 500 bucks that I know is for my trip. Mm -hmm. I have to look myself in the mirror and say, do I reach into this account and say, I'm not going to take this trip anymore? Or do I say, you know what, I'm going to figure out something else and stay on track. And I think that's where budgeting happens. Because I feel like if a lot of folks have just one bank account, no checking, no savings, just one big bank account with cash. It's really hard to manage which dollars are allocated towards where. Hmm. So you could see it. it it's building and then, and then you kind of give yourself choices. So really by creating all these separate accounts, you're allowing yourself to just clearly see where your money is going and to evaluate your priorities. Not only see it, feel it, right? I mean, if you if you got a trip in a couple months and that that the uh, girls trip account to Essence Festival that Angela Davis wants to go on is empty. Been. Like, I've it's, never been. Oh, in New Orleans. Uh, but that's why that's why I need you to post it. I want to see it. I want to see what you guys are doing. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So that's but that's very common. Like I, I had a colleague who came by and referenced, she's like, Oh yeah, I have a travel account. So that way I I know, like, am I on track mm-hmm. to go on this trip? And it keeps me focused. It helps me make decisions day to day. Like, do I really want yes. this Starbucks or do I really want to go to Paris? Right? Yes. And, it's- it's very, it's very easy at the end of the month to say, you know what? I deserve to treat myself instead of save for this trip. But then you have to speak, like I said, with the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror and understand like, okay, if you want to go, you got to put this in this month. All right. Chris, anything else? And the other, I just think this emphasizes what IO was saying about, you know, budgeting gives you a sense of where you are. I mean, the strategy really, um, it really depends on you doing that budget and knowing what's coming in and what's going out and then where it's going. So budgeting really is not, is, is, is just a tool that makes what IO and you are talking about. It's what makes it practical. Let's take some phone calls from listeners as we talk about uh, managing our money, budgeting in a way that allows us to do things like, you know, to save money over several months for a vacation or a trip or a hobby that you just enjoy. But, uh, you know, maybe you are on a very tight budget. What's the strategy of, of getting it done? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. In Minneapolis, Doug is on the phone. Hi, Doug. Thanks for calling in. What do you want to tell us? Good morning, guys. Thanks for taking hey. my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 66 and a half, and I can retire. I have uh, enough funds, my planner tells me, but I keep stuffing the mattress. I'm working an extra year simply because I can't quite let go of the saving mentality. And I'm wondering if you have any advice as to how you can uh, tell people to just relax and, and enjoy what you've worked for. So you have this, an emotional attachment like to, to saving, but it's hard to spend it, Doug? Well, exactly. My mm-hmm. parents were quite frugal. I know you hate that word, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's my issue, not yours. Being frugal is good. But regardless, yes, uh, it's hard to change uh, tack when you're 66. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just thoughts on um, letting go of where the economy will be in 10 or 15 years, which of course you have no visibility towards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I what, what do you hear in, in Doug's situation and his question? Uh, how how does he let go of? Uh, of, of, of saving because he wants stability. He wants to make sure he's going to be secure. Yeah, Doug, that's a very good question. And we actually see that a lot with our clients. It's funny because you think that the hardest part is getting people to save their money. But when people have done that for 20, 30, 40 years, one of the hardest parts is to get people out of the habit of saving, out of the habit of having excess and into the habit of spending, right? Mm-hmm. They've been so used to getting a paycheck. They're not used to getting their paycheck or being their own paycheck, if you So that's something we deal with a lot. And 
this kind of goes into finance and, and, and obviously Chris can speak on this too. Finance is obviously very technical. There's a math to it. There's a science to it, but there's also a psychology behind that finance kind of behavioral finance. And it's that point where you've just been used to having X amount in your savings account, putting X amount away, the money that comes in, maybe only spending 50%. We have to tell our clients, hey, if I send you this check, you need to spend it all before we take more out of your account because the money that's not in the market and just sitting in your bank account is actually losing money for you. So you need to be more judicious about that. Make sure that at the end of the month, you're actually going to zero. Now, Doug, there's no correct answer for that, but I will say that that will wear off when you do take that leap of faith. When you do start having more meetings with your advisor and you do start actually seeing the charts and graphs of the best and worst scenarios. When we talk about behavioral finance, a lot of it has to do with the fact that, hey, you saw your accounts drop 30 percent two, three years ago. And then you saw it again 15 years ago in 2008, do the same thing. You probably have this PTSD of like, hey, I feel good. I feel like I'm ready to retire. But then all of a sudden, another 2008 happens. And I saw a lot of my friends or you know, some people that were working with me that were a little older retire at that time and have to come back to work. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that girl. So I get it 100%. But it's one of those things where you just got to keep staying the course, which is, we're very classic for financial advisors to say that, but keep staying the course and just keep trusting the process that you put in place is going to take you to the promised land. I think Doug should consider going to Essence Fest with me. And then that might open some new new uh, new doors for Doug. Uh, what do you, you you've encountered this? I'm sure Chris too. People yes. like it's a different mindset. Like when is it okay to start spending? He says he's 66. It's a really different mindset, and because you no longer have a paycheck in the traditional sense coming in, right. and there's a lot of security that comes from that. But I think it's rather than thinking about the money because he's fine and he mm. knows he's fine. What is it that you want to do in this next chapter of your life? You know, what gives you meaning? What gives you purpose? What would give you joy? And we were talking about joy and this. Because there's value in that. There's a lot of value. So start thinking about the things that you, that when you stop working, you'll have an opportunity to do. And it may be starting your own business. It may be moving to the nonprofit sector. It may be traveling. It may be, uh, you know, spending time with grandchildren. It's probably a mix of purposes, but really focus a lot on purpose and meaning and what it is you want to be doing. And then the money comes along and then you have a reason why you're spending the money. And it's less about, oh, I'm spending down my money. It's more like I'm spending my money to be doing the things that I think really matter to me. Let's go back to the phone lines and and get our listeners in on the conversation. In Bemidji, Christian is on the phone. Good morning, and thank you for listening. Christian, what did you want to ask or share? Uh, Good morning. Uh, Can you hear me all right? Yeah, we hear you loud and clear. Awesome. Um, So I guess I'm just curious. So, um, like, you can't budget your way out of poverty, right? So Mm -hmm. financial literacy won't solve the rising housing costs or stagnant wages, and being that uh, poverty is like a policy choice based on like our legislation. (laughs) I'm curious, how do people budget their way out of poverty? How do people save for uh, excursions and trips and vacations when they're struggling to just put food on their table? And that is so many families. Uh, You know, I, uh, I, you talked about, you know, in, in your childhood, like, you know, you saw your parents working all the time, uh, just to take care of the the basic needs of the family. And so when you talk to, to, to families who are in that situation with really tight budgets, what, what can they do to create more flexibility in, in their lives? 
Yeah, that's that's a very good and I'm going to see even deeper question. We could probably talk about that for like 30 to 45 <laughs> minutes, but I'll, I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Um, there, the, the answer is there's really no right answer for it, right? Uh, I think you do have a good point in saying that it's hard to budget your way out of poverty. I don't necessarily think it's completely impossible, but it's one of those things where it's, you know, when we look at like Maslow's basic needs, um, you're going to save for the things that are most important to you, right? Bottom of the triangles, just like food, housing, X, Y, Z. But I've always been in the mindset and in my different phases of life, um, I felt this way and also done this too. Where it's like, you can always put something away, right? It may not be enough to take a trip down to, <laughs> we'll keep the theme going, Essence Festival, but it may be enough to do something, right? Maybe just like a staycation type thing, maybe a... um Again, a treat yourself weekend where you just buy something nice. But I, I feel like that question is a little less of a, a, a wealth management, financial advice type question. More of a there's more of a, 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 a an economic question there, right? On uh, on how to essentially take advantage of, let's say, government programs or let's say different um, um, grants or or, or, or or things out there that are providing. Um, excess dollars for individuals that are essentially under that poverty line. And because you had a, a whole podcast series of uh, people who became very creative with their money and were able to do things that you people may not imagine even possible. Yes. And so, and, and the key, what I really learned during that podcast is managing money is not about I. It's not about how I can save more or how I can get out of debt. It's about family, extended family, community sharing resources. And that's the starting place. And so even things like, uh, you know, families getting together and no, they're not going to the Essence Festival, but they're going to Minnehaha Park and someone's bringing a grill and, and someone's bringing some food expense, and you're yeah. sharing the expenses. And so you are budgeting for joy, but you're budgeting for joy less as an individual and more as part of a small community getting together and sharing resources. Uh, my son is graduating from college in May in Atlanta, and my family members across the country are like, "Where? Like, where? What hotel? Where are we going?" Anyway, one of my aunts stepped in, and I'm so grateful, uh, and was able to, you know, rent a house. So there are several of us staying in one house and sort of yes. ex splitting the costs. And there might be some air mattresses involved, but a lot of people will be in one house <laughs> looking for ways to reduce the expense <laughs> of having that time together and that trip away. But you want to get together, and this is making it possible. Right, right. So there, there's some exactly. things. Um, I, I'm looking at a, a Credit Karma survey from 2019 that found that half of millennials and Gen Z have gone into debt for a vacation. And most say they don't regret it. Now, should you ever go into debt for a vacation? I know you've mentioned that there's some credit card deals and benefits, but, but you know, knowing you can't afford it, but I'm going anyway. I'll just throw it on my card. I mean, I, I've done yeah. this in my youth. I, you know, <laughs> what do you say to that? Be being a millennial myself, I, I believe that stat 100%. Um, I, I don't know what it is about my generation. Not only have we gone into debt earlier, um, but we've also been numb to debt, right? Like we're okay seeing the the red and the negative on our statements, which obviously oh, that's, no, honey. That, that, that will be a problem at some point, right? That's a conversation I'm having a ton. But um, I mean, here, the financial advisor me says, no, I do not think you need to go into debt for a vacation, right? When we talk about needs and wants and and discretionary spending versus necessary spending. I just don't think discretionary spending should ever be something that someone needs to take out a loan for, go into debt for, X, Y, Z. Now, um, that being said, things happen, 
And maybe if you have, let's say, a higher income, you're able to pay it off faster. You can do it as long as you stay within bounds. I actually technically go into debt every time I take a trip because I put it on my card, but I have enough in, I make sure I have enough in my, um, my bank account to pay it off. Right. And that way I'm actually benefiting from the points, getting able to, you know, visa, not getting visa plug right now, but visa MasterCard and, uh, discover capital one, all these places will actually pay you to buy plane tickets on their cards. Right. So going into debt, I do it but I'm paying it off for the end of the month for the interest rates incurred. But I just think that's a really bad spiral, especially when we talk about credit card debt being almost 25, 26% um, interest rates compared to what we call mortgages. We're complaining about those at seven. It's, it's just not the best way to, especially early in your twenties and thirties to try to get ahead. So the better idea is to back it up and say, okay, I can't do it this year, but next year I can do it. I'm going to spend the next 12 months putting something away each month towards that goal of taking that trip. Yeah, either that or just, I mean, take a trip that's within your bounds, right? I think a lot of people are trying to take executive level um, trips Mm -hmm. when they're not quite either at that point in their life yet or, I mean, to have a tough conversation, not at that point or might not ever be at that point, right? I think uh, social media does that to us a lot where we Mm -hmm. think that, you know, I love that your family's going to get a house, right? And, and, and make sure you're being economic because the point of it is being there for your son's graduation. Right. It's not to stay at the Ritz Carlton for seven, 800 bucks a night. And I did float that idea, but it didn't go very far. <laughs> <laughs> no, I <I'm> didn't. <laughs> See, All that's right. why I got I got I got to get these um these the trip recaps. It's Carlton. I know you're doing it the right way. Let's take another phone call from a listener in uh, St. Paul. Noel is on the phone. Good morning, Noel. Thank you for listening. What did you want to share or ask? Yeah. Good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Um, a quick background: I did not come from a, a lot of wealth, and I started investing and saving through workplace in my 30s. So I felt kind of late and behind the ball. And I tried to learn the basics and do the right things and index funds and dividend funds and things like that. And after doing it, you mentioned like two years ago, the market went down. My investor, my advisor there said, you know, you're just not really good at this. And you should switch to to managed accounts. And we should do it for you. And we'll take care of that. You won't have to worry about it. And so I did, kind of feeling ashamed and feeling like, oh, I'm not good at this. And it felt kind of gendered, like as a woman as well. Mm. Um, and I just don't understand exactly what I'm getting for my money and if that was the right choice and if if women like me are just bad at this. And, you know, I, I have to point out there have been all male callers and male host guests so far. And I just am curious of, about this managed fund and if it's the way to go for people who don't, I guess, who aren't good at it. Hmm. Um, Ayo, what do you say to Noel? That's a very good question. I'm, I'm sorry that he told you you were bad at that. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the best sales technique. I haven't seen that one or used that one in my day, but um, managed accounts. Well, first of all, let's talk about what managed accounts are versus I'm assuming um, you were just buying stocks on your own and picking companies you liked. Is that is that correct? Is she still on the line? I'm still there. Yeah, yeah. I did. I did both. I did the sort of retirement age stuff, and then if I had a little extra, I thought, okay, I'm going to try to build up because I'm behind. You know, older. Then I would try to build up, and then that's when I was trying to kind of do index funds and dividend funds and my those yeah. myself. Yeah. So index funds are kind of like a passive way in, of, of investing in the sense of you're just buying a, an index, right? Index is basically a basket of stocks picked by the individual or the um, uh, the overall company, right? Like the S&P 500, we've heard of that. We've talked about the Dow. I, I heard Chris talking about the Dow earlier. Those are all indexes. And these funds are ways to just buy those indexes and trust that those indexes are going to do what you ask it to do. 
Uh, managed accounts are baskets of stocks. They're baskets of bonds. They're baskets of indexes. They're baskets of CDs. They're baskets of, you know, REITs, different types of investments put in together specifically for you. Right. And when you talk about the target date fund, a lot of your 401ks have target date funds and they're just based off age. They don't know anything about you. They've never met you. They never put a financial plan together for you. It's more along the lines of just saying, hey, if everyone retiring in 2060 needs to take on this much risk, we're going to invest as if you guys are all one person. So. Oh, are you still there? Okay, I'm not hearing you. Oh, you're you're cutting in and out. You know, let me take a, a, another phone call here while uh, we work on uh, hearing uh, IO and uh, our technical problems there. Uh, in Morris, we have somebody calling in. This is Steve, who is on the phone. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Angela. Hi. Um, what I'm you a want to tell behavioral us? and experimental economist out here at the University of Minnesota Morris. Uh, oh, hello. A professional acquaintance of Chris's, uh, and I'm actually uh, just a toss off, uh, toss out to the to the retirement thing. I'm finishing phased retirement. This teaching my last experimental behavioral economics course this spring, and then I'm fully retired. Although my research group will go on for a while. Um, but why I, I called is uh, I helped co-found the personal finance course we have out here. And um, we were careful to put some behavioral economics in it. And I just wanted to kind of emphasize that I.O. has got the right idea, talking about compartmentalizing. Uh, Richard Thaler won the Nobel Prize in 2017 for his contributions to behavioral economics. And one of his ideas was, well, you know, the standard model about how to handle your finances is you have one big bucket and uh, put all your money in it, and then you rationally spend it as you need it. And he said, that doesn't work for a lot of people because people actually mentally compartmentalize already. So what you should do is take advantage of that. So what I do in my paycheck, although now I'm about to end it, I have an automatic transfer going every time I get a paycheck. Some goes into the house fund, some goes into the car fund, some goes into the long-term insurance premium fund, some goes into the travel fund, and some goes into regular savings. And I never have to see it. Uh, now, it's all my money. It's all available through automatic transfers. If I want to go grab it for something, I can. But but because I put it in these buckets, I'm just much less likely to use it unless I really, really, really have to for other, something other than what I save for. So I think that's a really excellent idea if you can. The one issue when interest rates are high is how to do that and not lose a lot of money on interest. And so that's a technical problem about how to set it up. But other than that, the compartmentalizing idea, I think, is something people really ought to think about. And again, and that just means having uh, separate accounts with a specific goal. And you mentioned you have a travel fund. You have one uh, for your car. You have one for, for different things. And it just allows you, again, automatically... The, transfers, the work is done for you, and then you can see like how, how it's going. That's right. And, and so when it comes time to plan travel for the family, um, we look at the travel fund and say, well, how much have we got? And, and, you know, if we want to spend less than that, great, we have more for future travel. If we want to spend more than that, well, then we decide, do we want to pull it out of regular savings or not? And we, but, but the fact that we have the compartments uh, or the mental accounts that are different set up means that we're just more likely to spend it on the things we set up the accounts for mm. doesn't happen to, not not uh, not with certainty but it but it makes your your um, money spending more effectively uh, uh, implementing the uh, the plans that you have. Oh, thank you. That's uh, Steve calling in from Morris, and Steve says he's a behavioral exper- experimental economist there at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Io, uh, you're back with us. Uh, did you you hear what he was saying? That he's like the first thing he yes. said. He's like Io has it compartmentalizing <laughs> your budget. It works. 
it's it's good to know a fellow nerd in the industry agrees with with my thought process. But no, I love what Steve said because um you know the 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 bucket approach, right? I I actually you know what we're all friends here. Can I can I make a, a can I can I come clean, guys? Is mm-hmm. that all right? Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not the greatest budgeter, right? I'm like the folks that go into Target and think they're just going to buy some. <laughs> some toilet paper and come out with a stuff. A right? new outfit. <laughs> right, exactly. Before you know it, I'm just, you know, I bought a new car at Target. You didn't even know you could buy one of those, right? But it's <laughs> it's one of those things where uh, I feel like for me, I, I can't say I'm going to spend $200 on groceries. I'm going to spend, you know, make sure I'm 100 bucks on gas, right? I've never been good at that. I've never been good enough to check that every day. It takes a lot of effort on my behalf. I was never great at making spreadsheets at the end of every week. But me personally, what helps me is what Steve said. I really love the fact that he just puts the money away at the beginning of the month, right? He puts it away. He, he knows his goals. He may come to it not as often, but let's say he comes to it once every quarter, right? Beginning of the month, puts his money away, puts it where it needs to be, and then he knows the end of the checks, right? He can just spend however he wants because at the end of the day, he's saved for retirement. He's saved for his trip. He's saved for this. He's saved for that. And my thought process is if I go into Target and spend 500 bucks, I know that, hey, if I have no money left until my check comes on Friday and it's three more days, I'm probably eating ramen noodles those next three days. I'm still on track, right? And that's kind of how I've always budgeted. Some people are better like the the dollar for dollar approach. I really like the approach where it's just like, let me just eat the frog and, and put the money where I need to at the beginning of the month. And then I have to worry about, uh, you know, missing out on activities, retirement or milestones at the end of the month. All right. And I'll ask uh, a couple of minutes. Let's take one more phone call in Duluth. Michael is on the phone. And, and Michael, uh, you've been listening to us uh, coming up with ways to save money for trips. What did you want to share or ask? Well, what I've been doing, and I've been doing this for about a year and a half now, is I'm taking advantage of the gig economy. Um, matter of fact, literally right now, I'm driving to a store to pick up a DoorDash order for someone. I've uh, been doing the DoorDash and the Uber Eats for about a year, year and a half or so. Um, and I agree with what the, the previous professor said about compartmentalizing. Um, I actually have my Uber pay direct deposited right into my savings account, so I don't even see it. Mm. Um, we we have a trip coming up this, this coming September to travel out to Boston to celebrate a marriage, and I'm just going to be using that savings account money to fund that. Mm. And that's kind of how I've been, uh, been doing some extra money there. I like that. Thank you, Michael and Duluth. And do you hear stories like that, Io? And does that work? Uh, just, you know, you have a plan. This is how we're going to save this money to do this thing that we care about. Right. I would say with the younger clients, that's been a huge thing. Gig economy and, you know, Uber, Lyft, uh, DoorDash. That's been a way that people are able to. I've seen people buy new cars off of that without actually digging into their regular expenses. Wow. I've, especially with all the debt that's incurred over the last couple of years that we've talked about, I've seen so many people transform their life within a year by getting a side hustle, by, you know, wow. going into the gig economy and saying this money will be allocated towards this payment. So I, I love that you talked about that, Mike, and that's something that I think we need to start echoing more with these opportunities out here. All right, Chris, in our last 30 seconds, uh, any words of encouragement for everybody? Oh, I mean, I think this is the, you know, clearly we have a theme here and it's about making it automatic and car- compartmentalized. compartments. I, that's one of those words that I stumble over. Having compartments. I thought you were going to say Essence Festival. Essence. I thought that was a theme today. Okay. All right. I got a plan. I got to think about this. Uh, thank you so much to our listeners who called in with their questions and advice. And uh, thank you to our guests today. We've been talking with I.O. Idowu. 
more than a decade of experience as a financial advisor, also a former professional athlete. Thank you, Io, for your advice and for your stories, and Chris Farrell, who we talk with each Monday. All right. uh, Thank you for listening. This conversation was produced by Gretchen Brown. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Please join us. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.